We are live. I'm Seth 3.0, and I'm here today with Henry de Valence, who's founder of Penumbra Labs. We're going to be diving deep into Penumbra, which is one of the most interesting privacy projects, I think, in the interchain, and one that is immensely technically complex. So hopefully uh, he'll go easy on me. Uh, today we're going to learn how Penumbra enables private transactions, staking, swapping, and market making uh, in a shielded uh, system. And it works with IBC, which is kind of mind blowing. Uh, so we're going to learn about that. And we'll also find out why Henry thinks ZK EVMs are overrated. My guest, Henry de Valence, is coming up next, right here on the Interop. Hey, Henry. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for joining me. I think I just made the same mistake that I did last time. Uh, was I muted during the intro? No, or could you I mean, me? I could hear you. Okay, so great. Hopefully yeah. other people could too, but <laughs> at least I could. Yeah, no, uh, so, okay, no, that worked out pretty good. Uh, I just thought of mute after. I was like, oh, shoot, no, I didn't do that again. Um, yeah, how are you doing? Great. Awesome. Um, thanks for coming on. And yeah, this is going to be interesting. I mean, like, you know, I've, I've been following Penumbra, I think, like since Nebula Summit uh, this summer. And you, you were there, you, you gave a really interesting talk, interesting talk. And then you also gave a talk at um, at uh, the Nebula Enoma uh, event that we did in Medellin. Um, but both times, I, I wasn't able to do, like properly sit and listen to your talk because I was so busy mm -hmm. doing other stuff. And so I had to watch them afterwards. And um, I've been really dying to have like a, a deep conversation with you here and like understand um, how Penumbra works uh, from a technical perspective, but also like the challenges, because it feels like there are so many challenges, not only technical, but also just challenging um, all of the assumptions that one makes um, when thinking about a blockchain, right? That tra transactions are, um, are open and permissionless. And like that introduces all sorts of interesting game theory dynamics and stuff like that, especially when in the sense, like in uh, from security perspective, like validation, etc. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, what's your background and like how did you become involved, like in Penumbra? Yeah, uh, so I started off. Uh, I got into to cryptography originally um, as a way to combine both like um, very high level uh, theoretical math on the one hand and also like very low level computer programming on the other. It's like a very fun kind of like two diff very different kinds of, of thinking that you can get to, to interact with each other. Um, that led me into doing uh, cryptography engineering. Um, blockchains were actually a pretty great place to do that because it's like this like big wide open sort of new thing. And so people are, are willing to like just go and, and build crazy things. Um, and so I spent four or five years um, doing that, working on sort of like successively larger projects. Along the way, built a bunch of um, cryptography, ZK infrastructure in Rust. Um, then I went to work at the Zcash Foundation um, on the project to build a, a second Zcash full node for sort of decentralization and um, network independence. You mean like a Zcash client? No, like a, like even a, like, a, like a full node to replace the, because with Zcash, you've got this like, you know, 
like beautiful cryptography and it's like bolted onto the side of like Bitcoin D from like 2016. Um, Cause that was, you know, when, when the project was started, that was kind of how the ecosystem was. Um, And then around the end of 2020, uh, 2021, that project kind of got to, got to a good place, and uh, I decided to to move on. And initially, just like took a vacation, but then while I was on vacation, I kept thinking about um, just you know the stuff, the kinds of things that I've been working on, um, and the the broader context of like what was happening in blockchains and where they were going, and. Right at the time, that would have been um, like right after the uh, the DeFi summer in 2020, um, and so you know that was obviously like a pretty exciting time for a lot of people in crypto because all of a sudden you have like people are using all this stuff. It's like um, you know even if it's like like Yam coins or something, which is kind of stupid. Like there's clearly some kind of real activity going on there. But for me, it's sort of like this, like, sort of like, what am I doing moment? Because you can see like, okay, here's like the circle of like all the uh, projects that are getting adoption that people really care about. And then there's like all of the like privacy projects that I've spent all these years, like trying to build. And those, that Venn diagram is just like two circles, right? And so it's not like, not a good feeling to feel spending my life like working on all of this stuff that I think is important and valuable, but isn't actually getting um, adoption. And that led to thinking about, um, you know, what would it mean to try to build something that had privacy uh, as a core part of that thing but it wasn't just like, oh, we're building this thing so that it can be private. It's the way I would put it is in the past, we've had this, this uh, urge to be like, oh, we can build these systems that are private, right? Here's like a list of all these applications of ZK proofs or something, but like, that's not enough to actually um, drive adoption. You also need to actually have like a theory of change of why is this private thing going to outcompete the transparent alternatives? So what's a use case where um, privacy can outcompete transparency? And number two, what's a use case where people can actually just kind of start um, adopting and start using the, the, the product on their own without having to go and like sort of set up all of this other social infrastructure with other people just to get started. And that's, I think, a kind of underrated thing. People always talk about like cryptocurrency as like, oh, payments, right? Because that was the original motivation for, for doing Bitcoin. And it's been held up as this kind of gold standard of like, can you do a payment, right? But I think payments actually are, are really hard as a, as a thing to start with. Because in order for somebody to do a payment, right, they have to already have found off chain the person that they're trying to coordinate with. And so it's like at this like meta level, it's like, oh, we're building this coordination tooling. But in order to use the coordination tooling, you first have to coordinate 
to use the coordination tool. And it's like hard to, to kind of adopt. Whereas with, with a lot of the DeFi protocols, people can make transactions, they can do things like, oh, I'm doing a trade. Um, and that's useful to them. And they don't have to go off and like find somebody else in advance. So that the intersection of that, all of this sort of like thinking led to, okay, number one, what's a use case where um, we can actually build a, a better product by having privacy built in? And number two, what's a use case where people can just like start using it without having to find somebody else to um, interact with before they can even get started? Yeah. And the intersection of those two things is, I think, private trading. Yeah. No, that's that's a really interesting observation about private systems. And, you know, I, I feel similarly about privacy preserving technologies. Like, you know, the simple example is something like Signal. Signal is extremely easy for anyone to onboard. You know, basically, if you've used any sort of messaging system, you know how to use Signal. It's the exact same UI, exact same expectations about how it works. But you need to, it's like, you need to already know who you're going to like, kind of uh, transact, right? Like, yeah. who, who is the other person that's going to use that? And, um, well, not very many people, except for us, like crypto nerds are on Signal. So, uh, I mean, you know, I think, that makes it I hard. Think that that's changed over time. It has changed. It definitely, it totally that's has, like yeah. been like the, the fundamental struggle with Signal. Right. And like the stuff, like the messages of like, oh, like so-and-so and your contact is on signal that like sometimes people get really mad about online. Um, actually, uh, like the reason that that exists is to like, let you know that there is a network yeah. effect there. Yeah. Yeah. But your, your, your blockchain payment system doesn't have like a, Hey, you're like, yeah. Bakery is not accepting. <laughs> it's not as accepting yeah, Zcash. Because they, they aren't. <laughs> yeah. Because they aren't, <laughs> but also because it doesn't exist. Um, right. but yeah, I like, and, and I do sympathize with this, I, with this, uh, characterization you gave earlier of like this thing you care about and this thing that people are doing that just don't overlap. And I feel like I am also very passionate about privacy preserving systems and, and technologies, but the usability and the fact that nobody uses them is like a major barrier, even for, you know, people who are willing to make that leap. Um, you know, there was a, a summer a couple of years ago where like I closed all my Google accounts and bought a Synology NAS and started running my own mail server you know, in my house and quickly realized after a couple of months of like moving around and stuff that you know, having these things in my friend's living room, plugged into my friend's living room, wasn't going to cut it. So, you know, there's, there's all of these, um, there's all of these, uh, I think hurdles and obstacles that come with wanting to, uh, use more private, uh, systems and you know, protecting your, your OPSEC. Uh, uh, but certainly, you know, creating a use case that can demonstrate, uh, actual utility and value in, in, uh, using private privacy preserving systems is like massively important yeah um what um you know what what zk research or prior work does penumbra build on so you were at the zk foundation and like what parts of say like zcash that people might be familiar with are or, or other 
um, primitives that people might be familiar with are in Penumbra? Um, so yeah, so the basic the cryptography design of Penumbra is is derived from the the data model in, in Zcash, but then on top of that, we've added uh, a bunch of extensions uh, or or changes that I you know I'm happy to kind of get into. The the fundamental like high level idea and the way that I would explain it is, let's imagine that you start off with um, a just like a normal like transparent blockchain like Ethereum or Cosmos SDK chain or whatever, right? The fundamental data model for that chain is a global mutable state. So that chain has some chain state, right? In, in a, a Cosmos Tendermint chain, it's all very nicely represented by the app hash in the block header. Um, and when people do transactions, their transaction has like a bunch of stuff in it the transaction is agreed on by all the nodes and then they execute whatever the stuff there is. Um, and in that execution, they're modifying the, the global state and everybody has come to consensus on that. So everybody has a consistent view and that's all like fine and good. Right. Um, but there's like no privacy there. So in order to do uh, privacy, what we want to do is have uh, to use a, uh, ZK proofs. And the way that we're going to do that is instead of supplying the chain and the whole rest of the world with here's the state transition that I want to do. Uh, instead, I'm going to do the state transition that I want on my own and then send to the chain and to the world this ZK proof that says, I have, you know, I know about this state transition and I'm proving that the state transition followed all the rules of the chain, but I'm keeping it to myself. In order to make that work though, you have to change the state model from one that's based on global immutable state, or sorry, global mutable state to one that is based on immutable composable state fragments. So this is more like a UTXO model, like in Bitcoin, where instead of having this like one big global state, we fragment the, the state into all these little pieces. And we have this big tree of all the state fragments that exist. And now when I'm doing my uh, transaction, I can say I'm consuming, you know, these three state fragments, I'm producing two new state fragments, I'm proving that the, you know, composing this state, these like pieces of state that I had before, uh, and producing these new ones is all valid according to the rules. And the reason that it has to be fragmented like that is that what's really happening when you get privacy is that you're moving the execution off chain. But now the execution is actually happening like on the client device. And so you have to have some way for people's state transitions not to like collide with each other. When you describe this, you want to know what, what comes to mind is secure scuttlebutt and urbit. And, and I don't know how similar the designs are uh, or, or, or like what kind of different underlying assumptions those systems have. But like, can, can you be uh, interacting with Penumbra, but effectively remain offline for some time and then come off, come back online or? Um, it's a little 
I maybe in theory you could, you probably don't want to, because like when you're, when you're making these proofs, the part of the, the privacy part is that, um, you're proving you're not going to reveal exactly which of these sort of state fragments you're using. So to, to maybe it'll, it'll, it's clear if we kind of make this like very concrete, um, let's say that we're just trying to do like recording value, right? So our state fragments like in Bitcoin are going to be like these like shielded UTXOs, Zcash, those are called notes. Um, and each note is basically like a value, an amount of value and uh, an address that controls it, right? So when I consume that state fragment, what I'm doing is like spending that UTXO. And when I produce a new state fragment, I'm, I'm producing some, some new outputs. And so when I'm actually doing that proof that's like, oh, I have this like valid set of input states, I don't want to reveal exactly which ones I'm doing. So I'm going to be making a proof that like these were all contained in some uh, state root. So I only have to reveal the, the top of this tree of uh, hash tree of uh, Merkle tree of all the um, node commitments. Um, and if I do that offline, then there's some kind of privacy risk because if I'm always using like an old sort of state anchor when I'm making my proofs, someone might be able to see, uh, to, to notice like, oh, this set of transactions is always like operating with like a, a two hour delay. And so I can like de-anonymize those. Mm, but okay. yeah. there, there is some kind of conceptual um, link there in that like once you, th the way that I would put it is like, it's it's more like sort of like edge compute, but oh, okay. for yeah. blockchains and that you're pushing as much of the computation as possible out to the client but that means that you have to have kind of like segmented about the, the states so that you can have that kind of asynchronous execution. Sorry, edge compute. You mean like, like cloud functions? Is that? What edge yeah. Compute? Like, like, like part of the idea there is like, um, and this is like in the sort of web web two context is like, yeah. instead of having like all of your, all of your computation running on like, you know, one AWS node, you kind of um, atomize things into into functions, and, and, like yeah. And you put it like all the way out onto the like local servers that your CDN has near to where your users are. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the rough rough analogy. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so it kind of borrows from some of the more like traditional computing paradigm, at least conceptually, in terms of where computations happen. So it, the system where something like Ethereum or Bitcoin. All computations effectively are happening on chain, um, mm -hmm. or the, you know, the, the the validators are building blocks, executing uh, transactions, and 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 there's like one degree of separation between the chain and and the entity that's compute, computing it and it updating the state. Whereas here, you're pushing that further out into uh, well, effectively the user, you know, the, the whoever's running a client or a wallet, and we'll talk about like the different. Um, uh, the, the, yeah. the, the different like sort of steps that the transactions make, but it effectively pushes those further out uh, from yeah. you know the the chain itself. Yeah. Interesting. And, and what kind of where so you know a lot of times when we think about uh, well you know, we talked about earlier I mentioned zkVMs in the intro um, you know zkVMs I think sometimes get confused as being privacy privacy preserving systems. 
in fact, that they're used for scaling. Is right. is there a scaling angle here to Penumbra? So th does the architecture yes. allow it to scale? And what are the at what point does its architecture and its privacy preserving uh, characteristics uh, create bottlenecks to that scaling? Yeah. So like one of the one of the beliefs that we have about um, Penumbra is that actually uh, you know privacy and scaling should and do go hand in hand because the way that you get and the, the high level reason for that is the way you get real privacy on blockchains is by moving the execution off chain and onto the end user's device. And the process of like doing that movement now means that, you know, you're not doing Chain's that doing computation on chain. Yeah. Um, cool, yeah. And, and so there's a, but the, but this also gets to like the big uh, barrier and it's sort of at a technical level the like big breakthrough of, of Penumbra um, is if you want to do that, now you have to have a better model for like how do people interact with shared state. And I think in, in my opinion, this is the thing that kind of gets lost in like um, ZKVM or other kinds of ZKVM approaches is if you take the state model of that transparent chain and you just like do this like Apollo program of ZK engineering to run it all inside of the snark, then like you haven't actually changed the kind of the, the fundamental nature of like where that computation is happening. So in all of these like ZK VM for scaling rollup type things, someone has to actually be the prover who's like running all these state transitions. And that prover has to see everybody's state transitions. So like, it doesn't really work for privacy and you basically put all of the proving work onto like one entity. I see. So instead of pushing it out to the, this edge compute analogy, you're pushing it out to some kind of provider, like right. some sort then, of other party that, okay. Yeah. And they so can it's less post... atomized. It's more, it's more concentrated on these right. on these uh, provers rather than with Penumbra, where you know uh, transactions are basically pushed out to all the individual users that are interacting with the system. It, it's basically like building a second chain, but right. then rolling up the entirety of that second chain onto the main chain. Which is like to be clear, like that's you know that's a useful thing to do. It's mm. just I, I think it is a little bit. Uh, overrated as a scaling solution because it's like you've just moved the, the problem to somewhere else yeah and you've also added more work because like now instead of just executing they also have to do all this proving but maybe yeah. to back up a little bit um to kind of get into sort of what's the, the fundamental problem that that we are kind of concretely solving with with penumbra I, think uh, I was going to get there, but there's just like, yeah. there's a lot of overhead. I feel like to, to understand yeah. like where you guys are positioned to first. Get, so yeah, but I, I think it's because, because we didn't actually come up with it. And to, to, to be clear, I think it, it's maybe a little confusing because we didn't actually sort of start off with like, oh, here's our like big galaxy brain idea. Of like, this is the future architecture of blockchains and this is how it should work. And like, you know, we're right. Everybody else is like, can't see our genius and, you know, whatever. Right. That wasn't at all how we got onto this. The, the way that we started was with this idea of like, 
how do we build one useful application, right? Let's pick one thing and try and do that. And the thing that we picked to try to do was private trading. But as soon as you start to uh, sort of think about that problem, you start running into all of these like fundamental kind of issues about the state model. It's a little bit easier to solve, hopefully, uh, because you're only trying to solve like one specific use case. But what's actually happened is that by solving that use case, we now have like, okay, this is our game plan of how we're going to solve this problem in general. So the specific problem that we're trying to solve was uh, people being able to do uh, trading uh, without having to leave the shielded pool. And what's the basic problem here? It's about um, sort of how do you have private interaction with public shared state? So when you um, when you're doing these like you know private shielded transactions, the reason that that works and you can do it is that you're making these like zk proofs of your own state transitions about your own state that you're doing your like little universe. But the 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 reason that anybody cares about any blockchain is because it has shared state, right? That's like why every, every blockchain that anybody cares about is valuable. It's because they can go and like access some shared state. They can interact with other people and have those interactions be mediated by the chain. So like, how do you bridge those two things? Nobody wants to have like a market where the entire market is secret and like, there's no record of any prices. There's no way to see what liquidity there is. Like that's just like not a useful thing for people to have. What people want is a way to have their, their specific actions be private, but have transparency for the aggregate of everybody's actions uh, so that they can like see, okay, what's the state of the world that I'm interacting with? And other people are going to be able to see what everybody's sort of actions on net are. Um, but they won't be able to like look at like, okay, this was, you know, this was Seb's trade, right? They just see like, okay, this was the total amount of trade um, in, in this block or over this time interval or, or whatever. Um, and the, the problem there is that when somebody makes a trade, they're, they're not going to be like if you submit a, a, a trade to Uniswap on Ethereum, for instance, when you sign your transaction, you don't sign over like here's like the exact state of Uniswap and here's the exact amount of output that I'm going to use because, you know, that state could change while you're submitting the transaction and you don't know, like you can't say like, okay, everybody else in the world stop while I do my thing. Um, and that's what's difficult to do with this sort of private ZK proof approach, because when somebody is submitting a shielded transaction, they're submitting this sort of sealed up little bundle of like, you know, here are my, um, uh, here's my uh, state transition. I've like done the whole thing and I'm like posting a proof of it for you to look at, but I'm not, uh, there's, there's no sort of room for something to get plugged in later. Um, 
right? You don't know what the, the price that you're eventually going to execute it is. So to, to solve that, um, we move to this kind of asynchronous execution model where when somebody submits a, a swap on Penumbra, um, they are going to um, privately sort of the, the, in their, their swap action, they privately burn all of their um, input funds that they're sort of committing to this swap. They encrypt those input amounts to the, the validators to be processed as part of a batch. And they mint to themselves because they can't mint their outputs yet. They have to mint uh, an uh, NFT that kind of like binds to the whole um, uh, sort of intermediate. Yeah, no, it's not that I'm just in the chat. It's actually the reason that I'm pausing is I'm realizing that I'm just like doing a very bad job of explaining this. And I, I feel like I've just gone, kind of gone down this whole route hole. Um, uh, yeah. Let's start. So let's start again. I mean, I, I, I want to maybe just uh, pause here and, and um, I, I think it's helpful to start from the, um, from the wallet and understanding yeah. what's happening at this, at the edge here. And then we can maybe move into from there, we can move to what's happening on chain. And, you know, you gave this talk at Nebula where you explained the, um, where you explain the, the complexities of building a, uh, wallet in a shielded, uh, in a shielded system, because with a transparent system, as you described earlier, like you, you have this wallet, you have this client, you interact with a mutable public state and that, and that allows you to create a transaction that, you know, will happen at a specific point in that state. You don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you can't effectively stop the state and just put your transaction mm -hmm. here. And that's like the whole issue with MEV, I guess. Um, yeah. but with a, with a, sh a shielded, uh, system, you need to have this composable state. So maybe let's ex try to understand how that works, because I think that's the thing that you, know, even, even if I'm, even when I try to conceptualize how Urbit works, which, you know, admittedly is not the same, uh, not the same architecture, but has similar, I think, properties of how do you interact with a changing state um, when you don't know what the other parts of that state are? I think maybe, I don't know if I'm yeah. having the problem well there, but it's like basically other things are happening. Other people are interacting with the state and you have to be able to synchronously um, interact with that state. Yeah. All the while oh, not okay. knowing what those other things are. Yeah. So, I, okay. Why don't we take this sort of from the top? First of all, like, okay, what, what, I think one of the things that I was realizing we kind of skipped over is like, what exactly is Penumbra, right? Um, and uh, to, to just have a kind of like basic scope of, of what we're doing in the initial version of Penumbra, we have a uh, fully private shielded L1. It's built on top of Tendermint. But instead of using the Cosmos SDK, we have our own um, application. And what that application records is a multi-asset shielded pool that can record any IBC asset and some other um, custom assets or, or whatever we want. Um, and we use that shielded pool as the kind of 
base uh, recording surface of the chain. Um, and on top of that shielded pool, right, you can do, you know, basic transfers of value. So you can do shielded transactions. You can do uh, shielded staking uh, within the shielded pool, right? Because we don't want to have to have people leave the privacy set in order to participate in like securing the network or doing governance or whatever. Um, and then there's kind of the headline feature of uh, the chain, which is being able to do private swaps or private market making. And all of that activity is happening from the shielded pool. So we have this like private base layer for everything else that we're building. And the reason that that's important is you can't, uh, you can't ever like add privacy at a higher layer if you're already disclosing things at a lower level, right? Like if there's some like private contract or whatever, but in order to interact with it, I have to be always using, you know, my account that's paying all the gas fees. Then I've just like completely sort of done an end run around the privacy that I was trying to achieve. Yeah. So the, what I would say is like, that's sort of the basic framing of like what we're building is this like interchain shielded pool. And we use the shielded pool to implement um, shielded swaps and shielded uh, market making. Uh, and the theory of, of sort of why that's a good idea to build is it's not enough to just sort of have like, oh, here's this like tool that like somebody could use, but we want to give people a concrete reason for like, why, why are your funds in the Penumbra Shield pool? It's because you can do something useful while you're there, which is doing uh, swaps or, or doing market making. Um, particularly for market making, I think there's a really interesting angle there because if you're, um, if you're like, if you have a, a good trading strategy, right? Uh, but somebody else can just like open up a block explorer and say, here are the like top 10 performing active LPs. And I'm like automatically measuring all their returns. And now I'll just like build an index out of their strategies and like steal all their alpha. Then like, you know, there's not really any incentive to do uh, active trading, right? Yeah, like this uh, this question that was asked here is like, is, is there a way to prove that a dark pool isn't a Ponzi? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that, that's uh, actually uh, a really good uh, question, yeah. right? It, it gets back to this, this point that I was making earlier about like, it's not just about making everything private. It's about how do you have private interaction with public uh, shared state? How do you have the privacy for individuals but transparency for aggregates. One of the really, 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 really cool things about DeFi is the level of like real time transparency and like automatic um, sort of like algorithmic risk management that's possible to do, right? Like or this year we've seen these like giant drawdowns and all of the actual like DeFi protocols we're like mostly fine. It's the, and the the giant blowups were in these like you know centralized DeFi things that were doing all of their accounting off chain. But the part about like oh you can build a financial system that has real time transparency like evidently that works. Like 
all of the liquidations just like happen. It, you know, that part has been proven. And so like, how do you keep that benefit of like, uh, real-time transparency for the kind of aggregate state of the world, but still allow people to interact with it privately. You don't actually want to have like a market where all of the market data is, is secret. You want that to be transparent. You just want some kind of um, barrier between like, I can see the total of like everybody's liquidity positions or everybody's offers or whatever from I'm like looking at this one specific person's activity and I can, you know, spy on them or, or steal their trading strategy or, or figure out when they're going to make a mistake and then roll them over. Um, hmm. So, uh, yeah. How, how does the, um, I guess one of the questions that I was thinking about when doing research for this is how does having a shielded AMM change our assumptions about how, markets work yeah and, and, um, and maybe you know specifically uh decentralized ex exchanges and, and amms yeah um i mean so so one thing about penumbra is um the actual amm itself is on this like transparent side right so on, on penumbra um so people may be familiar with zcash where there's like shielded pool, transparent pool. In Penumbra, we don't have that, right? We only have a shielded pool, but we do have transparent aggregates of sort of all of the, um, you know, so the, the state of like what all the liquidity is, for instance, is public. Um, and the reason for that is it's kind of impossible to uh, hide the state of the reserves and also be revealing the prices. Um, and in general, like, you know, again, you don't really want to have like secret reserves. Um, so I think a lot of the, the design for AMMs carries over onto Penumbra. What's different is that now people can interact with that in a private way. So I can see like, oh, like this concentrated liquidity position was created, but I don't know, you know, who created it. And what was their purpose in creating it? Like one of the really cool and, and beautiful results in theory of AMMs is that you can approximate like any trading function you want out of, you know, a bunch of different small concentrated liquidity positions. Um, and so maybe somebody's creating a, a liquidity position that's part of a bigger strategy, but, you know, because they're doing that over several transactions, and all of those transactions are just coming out of this shielded base layer, shielded pool. Um, you can't really see how those are linked together. As um, opposed to Uniswap V3 or, or any other decks where you would see, um, you would see like certain activity coming out of one account and one yeah, might like mitigate that by this creating account, separate accounts. Here's all their, here's all their liquidity positions that they've ever created. And I can see their yeah. whole timeline of every trade they've ever done. Right. Um, so copy trading doesn't work with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't work with Penumbra. Okay. So, but so Penumbra does support like concentrated liquidity, like Uniswap V3 style concentrated liquidity, but also this this uh, sealed bid sealed yeah. bid batch 
um, uh, trade. Yeah. What's that? So there's sort of two sides, right? Um, we have, uh, on the one hand, we have um, the kind of market maker side where people are creating positions. On the other, we have the market taker side where people are submitting swaps. And there's kind of a fundamental trade-off between like how much privacy do you have, which is like the inverse of like how much information are you disclosing? Uh, so that's like one axis. The other axis is like how much control over your execution do you have? And there's not a way to like make that trade-off once and for all. So we have two trade-off points. Um, for the market makers, we aim for maximum control over execution. And for the market takers, we have maximum privacy. Um, on the market maker side, we have all concentrated liquidity. Um, so we don't actually use Uni V3. We use a, a new um, concentrated liquidity design that's very cool and I can get into um, a little bit. Uh, but the, the theory behind only supporting concentrated liquidity is like, who are the market makers who have the most benefit from Penumbra? It's market makers whose strategies actually have like information content in them, right? Um, if you're just like doing like a sort of a passive LP, like you don't actually gain that much out of privacy because you don't really have any information in your strategy to start with. Um, so we're kind of all in on concentrated liquidity um, on the uh, market maker side. And all of those liquidity positions are public. They're just anonymously created. So you can't see who's like, like what part of whose strategy it is, but you can see the overall shape of like, here's exactly how much liquidity is going to be available in this block. And then, okay. so you can see all the market activity, just like the way I'm visualizing this is like, there's a market. It's like a room with all these kind of like all the door, like doors around it. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like a circular room with doors and like people open the doors. They like throw their trades in. So you can see all the trades and then like uh, they open the door and they just like grab whatever they were, but you can't see who's behind the doors sort of. Yeah. So that's, that's only for the, um, the uh, liquidity providers though. If you're on the market maker side, that's where we optimize for privacy. Uh, and that's where we have this kind of sealed bid batch swap mechanism. So if you submit a swap on the market taker side, your transaction says, you know, I want to swap like, you know, 200 GM tokens for GN tokens, right? Um, just like making up some, some fake assets. Um, in that swap, rather than like revealing that information in the clear, and now, you know, your trade intent has been broadcast before it's executed. This is where you get all this like, MEV, front running, blah, blah, blah. Um, your swap transaction is going to encrypt your input trade amount to a threshold key that's controlled by the validators. And that encryption is actually an additively homomorphic encryption. So the validators can look at all of the swaps that they've included in the, the block sum up all of the encrypted inputs 
to get an encryption of the batch total and then only do a decryption of like, here's the total amount of like uh, inputs for each side of each trading pair. So that means that as long as there's multiple people who are trading in the same block, the actual, uh, the specific amount of each individual uh, transactions input is not ever revealed, like even in the long term, right? Because the only thing that's revealed is the total amount of uh, inputs over all of the transactions in the batch. And then once you have all of that, uh, once you've got this kind of batched uh, trade that's representing, okay, we've pulled back the covers and we've revealed the trading intent for this block, that trade gets like dropped into that room that you mentioned and all of the market makers execute against it. So on okay. the, the market taker side, you have uh, privacy through batching. On the market maker side, uh, the privacy is only coming from the fact that it's sort of in and out of this uh, shielded pool. And so a market maker would have to be a little bit more careful because for instance, if you had like a liquidity position and you close it, and then in the next block, you like open another liquidity position that has like, you know, almost the same amount, but you just like shifted the price over slightly. Somebody might be able to guess that that was really, you know, the same, uh, the same person. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the thinking there is that like, if you're the type of person who's going to be able to do like stat R and like, you know, have enough statistics to do uh, a competitive trading strategy, probably you can also think about information disclosure. Whereas for like a normal person who's just like, oh, I want to do a trade, right? They should get the stronger privacy from, from batching. Okay. Uh, one of the, one of the folks here in the live stream is asking a question about impermanent loss, and I'm trying to understand this question. So, how does it become an LP? How does it not become an LP with impermanent loss that works until Black Swan has a 70 percent haircut when it hits large redemptions? And, and I guess this made me think of like, how does what what is the impact of private shielded pools on impermanent loss? Um, I mean, I guess like impermanent loss is kind of badly named, right? Cause like the loss is kind of permanent unless the, you know, the price goes back. So like that, that's kind of the, the risk that a, a market maker is, is taking on. I think maybe the, the kind of undercurrent here is like, we think that, um, that the trend of like active liquidity uh, out competing passive liquidity is probably going to continue. Um, but in, in Penumbra there, it is possible to do, um, the equivalent of, of like, uh, sort of passive, uh, liquidity provision. What you do is, uh, if you want to have, like, say, I, I want the returns of like a Univ2, like XYK pool for some trading pair. You can on the client side construct, here's my sequence of concentrated liquidity positions that approximates the UniV2 payoff curve. But those uh, liquidity positions just like go into this like one big pool. Um, 
along with everybody else's. And so um, that might just be like outcompeted by um, a more capital efficient, um, actively managed LP. Uh, but, you know, the effect of that for users is that they get better prices for, mm. for less TVL. So that, that seems like kind of a win. I want to address the, the other interesting thing here, which is private staking mm -hmm. and governance. And then I also want to talk about IBC and what are the benefits of using, um, well, how, how does, how does this work with non-private systems? How does it interact yeah. with IBC with non-private systems? And yeah, the private staking thing, I think is, is really interesting because the, a lot of, uh, a lot of the um, ways that we think, I think about governance is that in, you know, generally in Cosmos chains is that people take position and, and they take public positions about what they're, uh, how they're voting on things. And you can see all that activity on chain. And um, yeah, it's very different from how we normally do voting in say democracies where voting is in fact, they're uh, in, in fact private, or at least the votes are detached from the voters. How, how does, how does private staking change our assumptions and mental models around how proof of stake security and proof of stake governance works. Yeah. Um, so as a kind of like baseline, uh, context, um, similarly to the, the perspective that we have in other parts of, uh, the system, the perspective is that we want to have privacy for individuals, but transparency for organizations, for aggregates, etc. Um, so, the private staking is, does not have privacy for the validators, right? We only have delegator privacy. So the distribution of stake between all the different validators is completely public. The validators votes in governance are also completely public. Um, it's the delegator activity of like, you know, who's delegated to what validator, and uh, what was each uh, individual user's um, governance vote? Uh, that part is private. And the analogy that I would have is like in the same way that you have, um, like in a, in a conventional democracy, you have secret ballots for all of the individuals. But when there's a political party that's kind of advancing positions on behalf of other people or, or acting as this kind of organized um front that party right like is a public organization they like list their positions etc um and so i think in practice there's probably not going to be that much of a difference uh on on you know governance on penumbra versus other cosmos sdk chains the dynamic of like you know validator will list their position publicly people can argue about it on twitter or reddit or various forums whatever that's all um, kind of completely the same. So the, the only thing that's, that's, that, that we have is we have detachment between uh, delegators and who they've staked with, like who their validators are. So delegators effectively have privacy. Uh, a yeah. validator will, will, make posi will take positions and vote on behalf, of, on behalf of delegators as they do now. Right. And we, all, we also know how- we override the vote, right? Yeah, yeah. But, exactly. but so do we, do we know I presume we know also what is the amount of delegations a, a validator has and mm -hmm. 
do we also know uh, in what proportion? So do do we know the uh, can we uh, atomize the addresses, the sort of delegations? Do we know yeah. the so you, so have, just you have privacy for the delegations? And to come back to the, the point you mentioned, but we don't know we, we what I what, so we, we don't know the identities or the addresses of those who've delegated, but we also don't know the de delegations. So we couldn't tell that there's like a hundred delegations and this one's a hundred tokens, this one's 150, this one's whatever. It's just like the validator has this many delegations, that's it. Yeah. Um, okay. you can probably get a little bit of a perspective there because you know when somebody delegates to a validator. There's a transaction. There's a transaction that says I delegate to this, but also, you know, somebody could spoof that by like doing, you know, a thousand little tiny delegations. But that gets to the point of like why I think this doesn't actually change the fundamentals. It just makes what's already there more explicit, right? Like right now, when you look at the sort of stake weight of all these different validators, you can go and look at like, hey, this address is delegated across, you know, these four validators or something, but you don't actually have any way to know is that address like one person or is that somebody trying to like sybil a bunch of airdrops or is that yeah. somebody trying to like secretly get a bunch of like stake in a bunch of different validators? Like, you know, you don't actually We've have seen this before about that <laughs> now anyway. Um, yeah. So, so adding in, you know, the ability to, to kind of, uh, surveil that doesn't doesn't really seem useful. And and on the voting thing, there's a lot of risks that I think the Cosmos ecosystem has been relatively spared of as yet, but I think is going to be a big thing in the future, which is like bribery, vote buying, etc. If you have a public record of how everybody has voted, you can like do all kinds of things that are not good for a governance process. Um, so you mentioned in the, in the docs, I saw that there are no staking rewards. Did I hear this right? Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, there's kind of a problem if you have, if you want to have privacy for delegations, right? You can't like pay out staking rewards because in order for the chain to do that, they would have to like, know. uh, who their stake, uh, who, who those, uh, you, like you can't do that if you don't know who the delegators are. Yeah. So uh, you need though to have the economic effect there. Um, and you also have to have a way to track like, okay, what are all these delegations? Um, the way that we came up with just to solve all of those problems at once is by having basically protocol native uh, liquid staking tokens um, there's a lot of different things that different people mean when they say liquid staking. So we don't use that word. Uh, instead we call them delegation tokens. Um, so that, you know, we have, this is our concept, right? Um, and what that is, is, uh, a delegation token is a share of that validator's delegation pool. So when you... Uh, delegate to some validator, the way that we record that on chain is not like, oh, well, we put, you know, some funds in this like staked part of the account. Instead, we have a kind of protocol native exchange between the staking token 
and that validator's delegation token, right? So you're like basically buying into that delegation pool when you do staking and the exchange rate okay. prices in all of the cumulative rewards that have been issued to that uh, validator's delegation pool from Genesis up until now. And because of that, if at some later point you undelegate, that exchange rate is going to credit you for sort of all of the rewards from Genesis up till time T2. And the, the kind of pre-debiting and the crediting cancel out. So you end up with like auto-compounded staking rewards over exactly the time period that you had uh, delegated, but without the chain actually having to um, sort of explicitly track that or like make payments out to anybody. It's all just kind of bundled into that exchange rate mechanism. That's super cool. So effectively, when you stake, there's, there's a quasi liquid staking mechanism that's built in where you get a position, you, you, your stake is represented by a position in the pool for, uh, but what, which pool? So it's like, like what, so each, number token each, and each, um, each validator has their own delegation pool that represents like all of the stake delegated to that validator. Right. Um, but is it is it like a like a liquidity pool or are there two tokens? No, in this it's pool? no, it's just a like a single asset pool. Single asset stake, pool. Just the stake that they have. But mm. when you have like say you know staking rewards or something, all that does is just like you mark up the size of that pool, and then everybody yeah. who has a share of that pool, the value of those shares are going to increase. But those shares are just like another token that's just recorded like any other token. You can send it around. You can transfer it over IBC. Like if somebody wants to build some, uh, you know, like pooled staking contract or something on Juno, like they could do that. Um, but at the base layer, uh, the, the kind of big idea of, of Penumbra is like anytime you have any kind of state, that should just like be a token, right? So instead of having like, oh, here's this account and it has these tokens and these tokens have these special properties that they're staked or whatever, it's just, oh, those, that's a different token, right? Like, and mm. you record all of that in, in this sort of one big uh, multi-asset shielded pool. Very cool. So IBC. Yeah. Uh, what What's the point of using IBC with a private system if you're interacting with chains that are not private? That That's my burning question. Uh, maybe it's a, a bit of a smooth brain question, but um, I, I, uh, I'm struggling so to understand here. The, the, the big picture, I would say, is that what IBC does to the whole like blockchain ecosystem is it unlocks the ability to have strongly differentiated L1s, right? If you rewind to like pre-IBC, people would make blockchains and they'd be like, okay, here's our new like layer one blockchain. And it has this like special thing, which is like the point of our project. But because we're now building an L1, we have to like build this whole ecosystem. We have to build like all of these different things. Like we have to have our own smart contract story. We have to have like, all of this stuff because it has to be kind of its own ecosystem. 
what IBC unlocks um, is the ability for people to build intentionally differentiated, like focused uh, chains and products while still being within a bigger ecosystem. So, um, you know, again, to use the, the comparison with Zcash, right? There's this like shielded pool and the transparent pool so people can like, you know, go to an exchange or whatever. Um, for us, like our transparent pool is like the entire interchain ecosystem. And the reason that we have IBC is so that we can be focused on like doing one thing, which is an interchain shielded pool and a uh, private DEX. And we don't have to be kind of all things to all people. Like, you know, the programmability story for Penumbra is like, you do an IBC transfer to Juno and use Cosmosm there if you want. Um, but it also means that like any IBC connected chain, which right now is just Cosmos SDK chains, but like that's already changing. Um, every time a new chain connects to IBC, we can act as a shielded pool for that chain. And that's kind of the, the long game of, of Penumbra actually is to act as basically a, a universal privacy layer for uh, every blockchain. Okay, so the idea here is that any chain would, uh, with an IBC connection to Penumbra, would be able to, by some mechanism, start up its own um, shielded pool. Um, rather, it's that that chain's users can yeah. use the Penumbra shielded pool. Oh, okay, so practical use cases here would be, well, let's say I have Osmo on an address right. and I want to decouple that Osmo um, yeah. from, like I want to start a fresh address. I'll IBC out into Penumbra and I can IBC in maybe, you know, spreading that Osmo as you know, different, um, like the yeah, kind you, of- You don't want to do like, the, like yeah. you don't want to do the exact same amount because then somebody can say like, oh, this amount went in, that yeah. amount came out, I'm guessing it's the same. But you send in like, you know, a hundred Osmo and then later send out like, 78.4 or something you know maybe there's enough uh volume there we can also build some like client-side software that helps sort of make these yeah. randomized spreads but exactly that type of use case um okay. is is a kind of initial thing that and then you could also you could also leverage penumbra to move tokens um move tokens swap them so you could move like say in osmo swap the those tokens get another token and then trans transfer those out and with um i guess here you're probably safer like if you go in usd and go out osmo because prices are fluctuating it would be really difficult to you know over time it would be difficult to um to associate the the in transaction and the out transactions because you don't know when the trade happened or at what price right so that's i think kind of an, an underappreciated point about like uh having a multi-asset shielded pool is if you don't have a way to exchange assets within the multi-asset shielded pool you don't yeah. actually have a multi-asset shielded pool you have like you know n single asset shielded pools in a trench coat that are all kind of like bundled together 
but like, you know, if, if someone sends in an asset of one type and then later yeah. the same type comes out, like, you know, that there's really only the anonymity set of, of that one um, type. Yeah, no, that, I think that makes a lot of sense and I see how that works. And, and so what, what kind of, cause you know, people are, quite used to using osmosis and of course it's, you know, it's the biggest dex in the interchain like most volume most ibc transactions in and out uh what what kinds of how do we facilitate the use of penumbra such that like look i, I think it would be desirable for the ecosystem to for, for most of the trading in the ecosystem to happen on penumbra right so that um, we uh operate in uh is we operate under the assumption that most transactions should should and are private. Yeah, but so practically there's speaking, there's a lot of network effects to, you know, like being like Osmosis already being the biggest text in the interchain. Where do you see Penumbra's role there? Do you, are are you are you hoping that Penumbra becomes as big as as Osmosis, or is it just more for like these kind of niche trades where hey, I, I want to have pr privacy now. I'm going to move in and out of Penumbra, maybe do a few trades there, or maybe some part of my activity I want to be private, but it's not like what I'm doing all the time. Yeah. Um, so I think th there's a couple different angles there. So one, um, which ties back to some, a question that you, you raised earlier that we didn't end up getting to, but hopefully we could before the end, which is like, okay, how do you actually make all of this like practical and usable for people to, to use? Go like, for how it. Do you, let's, how do you restore the, it. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like mentioning that one. So we don't forget it. But the second part, which is also very interesting is like, what is the kind of eventual future role of, of Penumbra in the ecosystem? Right? Like okay. how, for instance, does Penumbra relate to like osmosis? Um, the way that I see it is, um that sort of in the near term uh you know there's some kind of like potential you know potentially competitive aspect and then it's like okay this thing can do trading and this other thing can do trading right but in the long term i think that the the visions are pretty different like for osmosis it seems like uh and it's not my project so i can't speak on their behalf but it seems like the vision is to basically build a DeFi hub, right? Um, and so one kind of potential way that that works out is um, in Penumbra, we could expose like IBC hooks that would allow people on other chains to submit uh, trades onto Penumbra and have them be executed as part of that batch. You know, if somebody's trading cross chain, like that's not going to be private. But if the theory is that we're going to have the, the best execution because of, you know, private uh, market making strategies, you know, that would be pretty useful. Um, but the longer term vision of, of Penumbra is to be able to have to, to generalize the strategy of, OK, here's how you can have private interaction with this like specific hard coded decks to here's how you can have like private batched interaction with any kind of smart contract on any IBC connected chain. Um, and so I think those are kind of pretty complementary 
um, visions. Like there's a lot of stuff that you can do as like a transparent DeFi hub that currently we just like don't have the technical ability to do privately, right? Like syn synchronous composition, um, having like contracts that like control other DeFi primitives. This is all like very powerful and it's difficult to do privately. Um, but what, what we're aiming for, for, for Penumbra is giving people the ability to, to privately interact with like any smart contract on, on any chain. And how does interchain accounts and interchain queries work here? So if, if I'm, if I've got say assets that I've moved over, I've moved over some Atom into Penumbra, can I still control those from outside uh, Penumbra with interchain accounts? And similarly no. can, no, okay. And, and the reason is that like, <laughs> uh, you know, if you think about what's happening with interchain accounts, it's like this chain is like posting messages of like, do exactly this specific thing to this account. Yeah. So yeah. fundamentally that can't be private, but yeah. what we can do, uh, and this is like still early stages, this is for like, you know, Penumbra V2, um, we can give away for someone who has assets on Penumbra to effectively create a kind of like anonymous ephemeral interchain account on another chain, have that account do one specific action that they want to do, and then sort of wind up all the results into the Penumbra um, shielded pool again. Um, Okay, so going the other way, so basically, but Penumbra could control accounts on other chains, but you couldn't control yes. accounts outside. Okay, so you could sort of be operating as like in in you could be operating in the Penumbra, <laughs> yeah, like literally, right? Like uh, I'm thinking, like in the French, you say like dans la pénombre is like when yeah, you're kind of hiding in the dark, right? You just be like operating in the dark, like controlling mm -hmm. some stuff out here, doing transactions, moving stuff over IBC and interacting with tokens, maybe voting, doing governance, whatever. And then like, could just come back, move those tokens yeah. back into Penumbra as if nothing happened. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 And, and then not just for, for like a Cosmos SDK chain either. Uh, we think we can actually do that for Ethereum. That's cool. Okay. And, um, and, but it, so interchain queries though, can, I guess you couldn't query Penumbra from another chain, but Penumbra could query you could query well. any of the public chain state of yeah. Penumbra, right? So you could make an interchain query for like, hey, what was the you know market price for this aspect uh, for this asset of you know at this time or whatever? That's all public. What you can't do is like, you know, can I do an interchain query for like Seb's account? No, because it's like not my data. Like that's not you know, accessible yeah. to the whole world. Yeah. Someone in the, someone in the live chat thinks this is, this is all a very bad idea, but, uh, all right. no. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that like the world of like, uh, every financial transaction I've ever done being completely public to the entire world forever is a dystopia. Yeah. Um, I, I actually uh, got in a, an argument on, on, on Twitter a, a little while ago with somebody as you do. Ab about, um, you know, the like 
biometric like face scanning thing at the airport. And, you know, my feeling about it is like, yeah, I guess like, you know, like a retinal scan or like a whatever is like, like a kind of a creepy thing. But on the other hand, like think about all the like information that somebody can learn from like looking at my credit card statements. Mm. Like, that feels to me like a much more like scary thing because that's like literally the record of like every economic interaction that I've ever had with anybody else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can't put all that on a blockchain uh, without. Well, it is on a blockchain. I mean, all of that is on a blockchain. No, no. Like, what I'm right saying now, is like, like all of the. The current model but, in the current model, but, all of that is on a blockchain. But the, the current model is that people like do most of their financial activity, like, you know, through Visa or MasterCard or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, that has its problems, but like at least all that data is like only being data mined by a bank and not just like broadcast all over the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really wish we would have had some time to get into the, into the client stuff. I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, Cause I, I thought sure. that was really the most, yeah. one of the uh, most technically interesting things and, and, and maybe explaining how the per number client architecture is different from a typical client. And this comes back to the conversation we were having earlier about how most of the compute is having, is happening at the edge. Right. Uh, and there's this great slide in your deck where you've got like network, full node, view service, wallet, custody service. Uh, I'll link yeah. to this. I'll link to that talk here. Uh, so if you're interested in learning more about that, you should definitely watch Henry's talk from Nebula Summit. Uh, but yeah, let, let's walk through how these different architectures, how, how Penumbra's architecture is different from a regular wallet. Yeah. So the, the basic problem that we're trying to solve there is like, how do we recover the... Um, kind of development paradigm of a transparent chain, right? So it's like, oh, we've like built this whole like shielded chain. Like how do I actually now know what my account balance is, right? In one of the things that's really cool about um, transparent chains is that like all of the data all, and all the state is like just stored on chain. So if you're writing a, a, a front end of any kind, whether that's like a wallet or dashboard, whatever, um, you know, you don't have to do anything special. You just like query the RPC to find out like, okay, what's the state of the world. And, uh, once you go to a shielded chain, you can't do that anymore because by design, there's no like single server that just like sees everybody's account balances. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to sort of force every front end developer for Penumbra to have to figure out like, okay, how do I like deal with all this like weird cryptography, right? Um, and, and so we designed this kind of modular client architecture uh, that effectively allows a uh, the front end developer to recover the same kind of um, development process that they would have, the, the same kind of like state model workflow, et cetera, that they'd have for a transparent chain and the way that we do that is by um, defining a view service and a custody service. The view service is responsible for um, scanning, synchronizing all of the uh, users sort of portion of the private chain state. 
and the custody service is responsible for actually doing you know transaction signing keeping that as like a separate service means that you can kind of treat like you know is the are the keys in a browser extension or are they in a hardware wallet or is there some threshold thing you know all that kind of is a pluggable detail um and the view service effectively acts as like a local rpc server um so we can basically do all of the cryptography work once provide this common api with you know here's the kind of local per account rpcs um, and we can provide that to application developers, can ship it in, in a browser extension, say. And now the workflow for uh, a front-end developer is basically you know, the same, except instead of querying just one RPC, uh, they would query the full node for the public part of the chain state and query the view service for specific kind of per-user information. And what's the biggest challenge there like from like uh, a, a user experience because it feels like what this might challenge is a lot of the user experience assumptions that people have about wallets um are, are there challenges that, that you had to face here yeah um one of the things that we've been working on over the last little while actually and we're going to ship it in a, i think the next weekly testnet is a kind of comprehensive solution for um, con conceptualizing like transaction viewing, right? So if you just look at a penumbra transaction, most of the actual content, almost all of it, except you know it has X number of spends, X number of outputs, whatever, uh, all of the rest of the interesting data is all encrypted. Um, but you don't want to sort of force every front-end developer to have to like understand like how do I do all of the like number specific encryption or whatever. Um, so we built uh, basically like a, a first-class concept of a transaction view, where um, you can take a shielded transaction, and then someone can give you a, a piece of a, a bundle of data that we call a transaction perspective. And you can use that perspective to view the transaction from a diff you know, various different angles, right? Like one view is like the view that I have as the sender, I can see everything. Another view is like the receiver can view um, the parts that were sent to them, but they can't view you know, my own change outputs or something. Um, and the resulting transaction view is this kind of like pre-parsed, pre-decrypted thing that we can just like hand out as a, uh, a data object. Um, and so that way we can, we can basically allow, we can like bundle all of the kind of cryptography, privacy infrastructure stuff into um, the, the common view service implementation um that we provide as this kind of off-the-shelf component and then anybody can uh, ideally like write a front end in whatever language like all these data types are all uh in protobufs so you can compile them to to whatever tooling you want um and be able to like easily work with the kind of plain text contents of the the chain data even if it's private 
So um, before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you, well, there's two, two last things I want to touch on. So one, one is you know, how are you, uh, I, I was at um, uh, ZK Summit in, uh, in Berlin briefly a couple of weeks ago or some, some time ago. And, and uh, the Anoma team was mentioning kind of close integrations with Penumbra and even I think some like IBC transactions over um, like private IBC transactions between Penumbra and Secret and Anoma. And like, so how, how are you working with these different um, private or privacy preserving zones? And yeah, what, what's the like long-term vision here? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we collaborate like uh, on kind of like overall ideas. We share um, different, um, sort of like bits and pieces that we've we've picked up. Um, I think uh, the the private bridging. So, so there's an idea that um, Anoma is very excited about, uh, which is building like uh, shielded IBC transfers. You know, between two different shielded um, zones. Um, and we've talked with them about it. Uh, for me personally, I think I'm like a little less, uh, it's not quite as exciting to me because my perspective is that like, it's not totally clear that shielding all of the IBC transfers is actually, uh, good, right? Like if you have a situation where you already have two private, um, like, like fully shielded pools and you can send amounts back and forth between those, um, that's giving you like, you know, at least like 70 to 80% of the privacy benefit of also having the sort of amounts and the transfers be private. Um, but also it's giving a lot more information that's helpful for maintaining kind of ecosystem security, right? Like how do you do a circuit breaker if all of the transfer amounts are encrypted? Um, and so I guess like that, that feels like more of a kind of long-term thing to me. Um, I think that the kind of near term goal is just like, how do we get like shielded, like private solutions deployed into the, the interchain and actually get people to use them? Um, and, and so I think that's the, the area where we've had kind of like the closest kind of, um, sharing ideas and so on. Yeah. Well, uh, Adrian and Chris are, are going to be on here in a couple of weeks. So I'll ask them that cool. same question and see what kind of response they give. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. One of the things that I think has been a lot on the minds of a lot of people recently is, um, the, the whole tornado cash ordeal, uh, uh, do you, um, well, I mean, you know, like, cause with, with Penumbra, we, we can do sort of similar things that we can do with Tornado Cash, as we mentioned, right? You can, you can certainly obfuscate, um, origin of funds and things of that nature. Uh, you know, bluntly, are you, uh, are you fearing for your, you know, for your safety and, um, and yeah, what, yeah. How do you, how do you go about sort of building this without the risk of, um, legal or you know like regulatory action um yeah. no i mean I'm, I'm not particularly worried like i i've 
Uh, I spent two years working on Zcash, which, you know, same sort of thing. Um, I think uh, the kind of overall sort of points that I would have are, you know, one, it's kind of unclear how things are going to end up going with Tornado. The Coin Center has a, a, a legal challenge that's ongoing, and um, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out. Um, another point is, uh, so, so the second thing is, um, I think as, as a side effect of building, uh, good software, we actually end up with a lot of really powerful and precise, uh, disclosure capabilities. Like for instance, um, you know, suppose you have like a browser extension that's running your view service. You don't necessarily want that to be posting your like kind of long-term viewing keys into this like potentially untrusted front end. So you need to build the ability to have like per transaction disclosure capability, just like, you know, for security. But that same tooling is also the kind of tooling that you need to have to be able to produce. Like here's a complete list of like, all of the activity that I've ever done. Like it's a normal thing for people to want to like, you know, have an auditor or like, you know, do their tax return or whatever. Um, and the type of tooling that you need to build to be able to do that is exactly the type of tooling that allows people to like demonstrate to some third party, like here's my activity. Like you can like, this is a report of, of what I've done. Um, and, and so I think that that kind of comes out of just like sort of like basic operational um, uh, stuff. So, so we we're building some like pretty sophisticated um, opt-in disclosure systems. Uh, and I guess the third thing is that with Penumbra, in, in comparison to something that's like, you know, just a, like a, a shielded pool, there's a, a much more clear and compelling uh, reason of like why this has to exist, right? If you look back at the history of, of Bitcoin, right? Um, in the early days of Bitcoin, there was all this like fear mongering about like, oh, like Bitcoin is like this like thing for criminals and the Silk Road and like, you know, the whole thing should just be like illegal. Um, but over time, the amount of like legitimate use cases uh, grew so strongly that it was just like harder and harder to credibly make that argument until it just like became impossible. And for Penumbra, the, the thing that we're really aiming for is to like build a useful product whose value to, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people is just like undeniable, right? Um, and I think that's really the the strongest possible uh, argument that you can make is like showing here are things that you can, that are only possible because everybody is not just like broadcasting all their information all over the internet at all times. Yeah, that certainly seems like, I, I think the concerns about privacy will yeah I, I feel like current 
um, the, the current sentiment uh, in the public eye, like in the sort of like public discourse about about privacy on on crypto, is rooted in the fact that most people don't use crypto, and the media have the media and also policymakers and politicians have uh, clearly put like crypto in this in this um, um, somewhat uh in this like box that's counter to the prevailing narratives of uh like most states and and mainstream media i think that if and when crypto becomes more widely adopted by um by say like the masses um then their the privacy concerns will will be turned on their on, on it like the privacy concern will probably be turned on its head at that point because then at that point not only is everybody else using it but also you know, corrupt politicians and 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 those who actually do want you know people who actually do want privacy uh, are also going to be um, you know wanting privacy and you know the the dystopian the dystopian uh, future is one where you know there's privacy for um, for like the elite but no privacy for for um, for anyone else and but that, I mean that's that's not the that's just like the dystopian present right like. All of this, like, you know, Donald Trump having all this, like, shell, Manhattan shell companies for, like, real estate and doing all kinds of, like, sketchy shit. Like, that's, that's just the reality. It's like, if you are, like, the, the, in the current system, you have, like, financial privacy only for the elite. And meanwhile, you know, if you, like, receive money on Venmo for Syrian food you get this like scary warning of like, can you explain like what you meant by Syria? And are you like, you know, mm. a criminal sanctions violator, right? Yeah. So like I, it's, that's, that's just like the way that, that things are now. And I think that I, I would actually put it as like, rather than being something that comes out of adoption, I think that broad adoption of, of cryptocurrency for everyday normal economic activity is not going to be possible until we have the ability to control information disclosure on chain because yeah. every every kind of interesting meaningful real world coordination actually requires some kind of control over information disclosure look what happened with constitution DAO. like it is really cool that you can just like make a discord with a bank account to buy the constitution but it turns out that if you're trying to win an auction and somebody can see like a live feed of what your max bid is, you will not win the auction. Like this is just not possible. That, that type of coordination is just not possible without having some way to control information disclosure. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I actually would, would view privacy features as being a thing that is going to unlock uh adoption rather than something that will be sort of normalized as a as a result of that adoption interesting so where can people go to learn more about penumbra what's the roadmap How do um I, yeah yeah so uh if you go to penumbra.zone there's like a link to uh our discord um we also have uh if you go to guide.penumbra.zone we have instructions on how to use our test nets right now. It's still command line only, but you know, we're currently working on a, uh, 
building a, a web UI. Um, I would say basically like join the Discord. We have an announcement channel. Um, there's also like, you know, arbitrarily in-depth protocol specs at uh, protocol.penumber.zone. But very in-depth. Um, I, I, yeah, I had a gander at we, those today. <laughs> we, we really got to get the kind of um, uh, sort of missing middle of, of uh, better documentation. So that's, that's going to be a focus for us in the next few months. Cool. And final question, who should I have on the podcast next? Who do you think is interesting uh, that you would recommend? Um, uh, I would talk to uh, Sriram from Eigenlayer. Um, okay. I, I don't know. Very him. cool. Uh, they're, they're building cool stuff, and uh, he's very interesting. Cool. Well, Henry, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for, uh, for being so generous with your time. Thanks yeah, to everybody. It's been great. Who, yeah, it was very interesting. And thanks to everybody who joined the live stream today. Uh, lots of conversations and discussions and asking questions. And uh, sorry, you couldn't get to all of them, but I do appreciate it. Uh, we do live streams every week, typically on Thursday. So be sure to subscribe to get notified when uh, those come out. We'll have a new live stream next week on Thursday, and it's going to be really interesting. Uh, yeah, so thanks for joining, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, this is great. Bye.